0: It's time, it's my privilege to turn the call over to Vince. Good morning, everyone. You know, obviously, we knew that Rhonda was going to leave for, for, for a contract. So, when you look at what happened at WrestleMania, you know, and with Becky Lynch and, and Charlotte and, and, and others, the entire division, you know, it, it, the focal point and the stories that are coming out of that. Rhonda did an awesome job. She did an awesome job. Promotional value alone, in terms of Fox, in terms of commitments from NBCU is something we've never seen before, Uh, not even close. It's extraordinary. And it's uh, called a kickoff, I suppose. Uh, And it's gonna kick us into, uh, again, an element we've never seen before in terms of promotion with everything, WWE talent, storylines, you name it. So it's a rising tide.
1: But can you remind us also how long it takes to build one of these John Cena, Roman Reigns kinds of characters?
0: I'll let uh, let, uh, Paul Levesque handle some of that color, please.
2: Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, there's no exact timing on on what it takes. And first of all, we, we we don't bring in superstars. We create them.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Russellomics Radio. It is April 28th, 2019. The temperature is about 40 degrees here in Buffalo, New York. And we're going to talk this week. This time, about WQ One Two Thousand Nineteen, the report was just this past Thursday. Uh, we learned lots of things about W's business as usual, and um, I'm actually not alone this time. I'm not going to do this just talking into the ether all by myself here at WrestleNomics. We actually have someone uh, on the couch here, just in the background. Um, is this uh, is this El-Simar on the on the line with us here? Who is this? Yeah, and this is Chris Harrington oh. from. St. Paul, Minnesota. How
4: are you, Brandon?
3: Oh, the, 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 Vince president of WrestleNomics Radio.
4: Yes. I was, I was referred to as the Vince president by, I think it was wrestling dash world. And, uh, uh, if nothing else encapsulates our, our wrestling media today. Yes. And I think it's articles like that going up. Yes. My, my, Sorry, gu- my amusing. Google
3: alerts have been going just, just been exploding lately with your name. Well, my Google
4: alerts have been exploding with your name because That's you had right. a, a barn burner of a match, a, uh, a humdinger when you wrestled for Beyond Wrestling out in was it massachusetts
3: how do you say this it's not Worcester as it appears it's yeah
4: Wor- wooster 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 massachusetts wooster, you versus massachusetts. mr j freddy opening up yes. the uh the two-hour show for beyond wrestling their weekly show they have on wednesdays and uh a lot of acclaim going for that um the wwe q1 earnings was the next day meaning you had to stay overnight you had to figure out a way to get home and uh that sounded like it was a, a heck of a, a couple days for you there
3: yeah, that was that was really. Uh, I don't recommend that for anyone uh, to uh, <laughs> wrestle a hard match and then take a six hour drop, six and a half hour drive. But yeah, I wrestled for Beyond Wrestling as part of their Uncharted Territory weekly show that is broadcast live on independentwrestling.tv. And I wrestled. You said it correctly, Mister J. Freddie, Uncle J. Freddie, uh, known to uh, to his nephews, where my my students. Uh, we had a a really hard match that got a lot of nice feedback. Uh, we went about 18 and a half minutes. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to wrestle in front of, a, like a super indie crowd that was really appreciative of what we were doing. And, uh, the, the feedback that I got, uh, you know, on, on the, on the phone immediately after was astounding. So you can, a lot of, uh, good feedback on that. You can check that out on the streaming service, independentwrestling.tv. And there's a 20 day well, that- trial if you use, I think, I think the coupon code Buffalo still works or Uncharted still works. You can get a 20 day free trial. Check that out.
4: So, I, a lot of learnings on this one. Number one, um, in, that, the, the website you keep referring to it, is it independent wrestling TV? IWTV? I,
3: IWTV.live? Let me make sure. Yeah. This, I, I think I, I misspoke when I was on post wrestling.
4: Yeah. I, I think that's the, isn't that previously known as Powerbomb? This is, yeah, this is previously Powerbomb. Yeah, because um, when I went there to sign up and use the Buffalo code, it's like, you've already subscribed Ooh, before. Yes. And I thought, oh, this must be the old Powerbomb site that it I had is. subscribed to a while ago. Yes, I believe they So, um, it. there's that. And then also it's available on fight.tv.
3: Yes. It's, um, it's like a pay per view. And so, view.
4: yeah. So that was, that was really cool because, um, I was able to, to actually take it from fight.tv and throw it up on my, my t- big TV and finish watching the whole show that way. So I enjoyed that. It was a very good show. Um, I saw even some AEW talent on there, Mr. MJF, Maxwell jacob friedman was was there and he i think was. uh next week they're gonna have uh penelope uh ford will be there mm-hmm. and uh there's a lot of other uh really talented people coming through I, I i even think i saw something for the best friends club um rochester's own along with mm-hmm. uh chuck taylor Yeah, trump, you know
3: trump and chuck taylor are going to be there this coming wednesday i believe
4: yeah, so I mean, I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces heading out that way, so that's pretty exciting, and uh, talk talk me a little bit through your match there. This was kind of a, a big breakout opportunity for you. I think it was the first time that a lot of people who have heard your voice but not seen your moves uh, beyond on the dance floor, um, mm-hmm. really getting a chance to see you do a match. How many times have you ever worked with Mr. J. Freddie?
3: Uh, we had a series of matches in a promotion called Pure 6 Wrestling in Rochester in like 2013 and 14 and we had one match sometime after that in ESW the buffalo area but it'd been a while since we wrestled we actually had a tag match that we were on opposite sides of limitless in maine uh in november but um but no it we it, it'd been a while since we had a singles match but i've known Jay Freddy for a long time and you know he's he's from syracuse originally from watertown so you know we we know a lot of the same people and stuff um and, and uh was your chest all bruised and battered the yeah, next day? Of course it was. It's still scabbed right now. But yeah, we, there was, this, there this was, was a like, lot um, of
4: chops in that match as the commentators, yeah. uh, uh, exclaimed. But, uh, I think it was, it was pretty organic. It was pretty fun.
3: Yeah. And someone said it was my, um, Su- Clark Kent Superman moment. I think Robert said that, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, but it, it was, um, it was, it was fascinating that to like, I think I'm known as to, to the, to the wrestling Twitter community. I think I'm known as like, you know, a business anal- analytics guy or, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who like, uh, posts graphs and does business stuff on Twitter and, uh, and kind of talks about being a wrestler sometimes or retweets, you know, shows that, that I'm on and stuff like that. But I think it was the first time that that's, that wrestling Twitter community was paying attention to a show that I was on, you know, a Beyond show. I think it is, is a high enough profile and this independent wrestling TV streaming service is a high, high enough profile. This is something that, that that community, is paying attention to, so that was a lot of fun to see that uh, you know, see people see me as a wrestler there, and then and if like people want to
4: book well, you as a wrestler, you know, now that you're all famous and and uh, getting over uh, an on Indian, the internet, they, they, how how do they contact you? How do they do that?
3: You can negotiate a price to fly me around the world to uh, engage in professional wrestling contests. Um, you can DM me; the DMs are open on Twitter, uh, Brandon on Thurston on Twitter
4: yes. at Brandon Thurston. Yeah, sure. Sometimes you're referred to as Brandon Howard as you were on, I think the, uh, the, the, the torch podcast.
3: Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I alerted you to that, that, uh, Wade Keller and Todd Martin were talking about us as the only names worthy of being dropped in, uh, in terms of, uh, people in wrestling who weren't from the original newsletter era who are actually doing good work.
4: I, I don't know if it was quite that extreme, but I think we were given <laughs> as examples of people that, that have come onto the scene in more recent years. The only uh, example at the very least. Yes. And, um, it's been more than a hundred days since you and I have chatted. So it's been a exciting couple of months for me. I've, you know, I did some time in Jacksonville, did some time in Vegas and, uh, yeah. What have you been doing? Uh, have
3: you it, just been on the unemployment it, line or what? Where have you been? It
4: was, it was reported in the observer this week that, uh, apparently I'm going to China this week. Are you? Too. Yes. I think it was also mentioned by the, uh, the OWE uh, Twitter account. Oh. So, uh, I'll be in Shanghai for a few days, uh, later this week. You, so used to li- you
3: used to live in, in China little known
4: fact. I did, I did. So, um, you know, we uh we that that caused a lot of questions about how to deal with that on my immigration form. Oh. But uh yeah, we we got through that all. Yeah. So, it'll be my it more than uh, almost 30 years, a little more than 30 years to the date of when I was last in China. Um, so it will be very fun. Uh I'm not going back to Xiamen. I'm going to uh Shanghai, but I'm I'm looking forward to it and I'm I like to think that I I have a little bit of ability to be prepared for it more than maybe some people just because I, I have lived in Ghana, I've lived in China, I've lived other places. And so I can uh, adapt to the fact that I, I'm used to having food that maybe is not the food I like, or I'm used to. And that's okay.
3: Now, now I'll, you're I'll as, right. as people know, you're fluent in many languages. You're a, a, a famous... <laughs> English not being one of
4: them, however.
3: You're a famous pronouncer of, uh, of, of names of, of people who are not from the United States. So are you fluent in Mandarin like like John Cena is? I am not fluent in Mandarin at all. I
4: can count to ten. I can say thank you. I can say goodbye. I can say I do not understand you. I can say hello. <laughs> so uh those those are those are hopefully enough in this day. I think the Chinese have uh, uh done a great job learning a lot of other languages and made it very adaptable. Shanghai's always been a, a community that's been full of expats. Do you, so do you know how to say
3: how do you pronounce that? <laughs>
4: You know, I was most amused on the WWE Q1 call because uh, at one point they referred to um, Laura's firm as like
3: Need Ham. I had to laugh. Um, I think but yeah. L- Laura, we're talking about Laura Martin, the analyst from Needham, uh, Needham, Needham Inc. Needham. It's, it's a financial firm that does analysis for W stock. She re- asked a question about John Cena. I don't know if she was just. Uh, yeah, I know. I caught that one too. <laughs> But a lot of interesting questions talked about on this conference call. We'll talk about that.
4: Yeah. So you were able to to cover the call, okay, from your
3: back huh. of the car? Not really. Um. So I I didn't get any sleep on the on the car ride back. Um. And let's see. I got home around seven a.m. I was hoping oh. to, I was hoping to get some sleep. Um. Fortunately, I I didn't uh commit to doing a a written article this time around. So thank God I didn't because I was I was just a wreck. Um, I, I, I did get on the phone with, uh, John Pollock and waiting of post wrestling at 3 PM Eastern time. And, uh, I, I managed to uh, spit out a few words about this, this thing, but I, but I did wake up at nine o'clock and, um, I did go through all the documents and I looked at them and I created some graphs and, and fortunately I was able to do some prep work so that I just sort of had to fill in, uh, some numbers rather than create everything from scratch. But yeah, I, I tweeted about the, uh, the, the, the documents and the conference call at 11, and then I think I got a nap or something. I don't know. I took two naps yesterday, and I think I'm now fully recovered. Yeah, I don't recommend this. I do not recommend wrestling a, a hard 18-minute match, taking a six-and-a-half-hour car ride through through the night, and then uh, covering the uh, WWE earnings report. I do not recommend that to anybody. But uh, I
4: think you're forgetting the fact that you also took the six-and-a-half-hour car ride there on the same day, too.
3: Yeah, but that's those were that was during the day. It's not like I would have been sleeping during that time.
4: Yeah, but still, that's 13 hours that you're spending in in travel, which is I'm spending 14 hours to get to Shanghai. So, it's it's almost the same as you flying to China.
3: Yes. The nice thing though is that I didn't have to drive for any of the, any of that time. I was uh they they booked an entire uh slew of people from Buffalo as if, as people who watched the show might have noticed. So, yeah, we had a a nice minivan and I did, I offered to, but I didn't even have to take a turn at the wheel.
4: So is that a, another feature you can offer for the package for people, for promoters, is that you can bring in an entire invasion angle from the city of Buffalo? That's, uh, that's a crew of, of, of workers who will come in and uh, pit their city versus yours. It'll be the Rust Belt Battle Royal.
3: That's, that's definitely a possibility.
4: I like it. I like it. You you versus Cincinnati, Ohio or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yep. Erie, Pennsylvania.
3: So you you were telling me there was a, a curling injury recently in your, there was, uh, your curling. Unfortunately,
4: injury. yes. My, I, we've been doing a, a short-term curling league here in St. Paul. And, uh, unfortunately on Thursday night, right towards the, uh, probably seventh end or the eighth end, um, we were, we were sweeping a stone trying to get in the house and my wife took a tumble. And so she, she fell on her back and then she, she bumped her head. And at first she didn't have any kind of pain or, or anything going on with that. So we, we headed home and then that night she didn't feel well. And so we went to the ER and spent a long time there and got all the tests done. And so she's all right. There's no bleeding on the brain. There's no, you know, fracture and anything doesn't appear to be any kind of, um, major contusion of any sort, but she had to spend the whole weekend here, uh, kind of Brandon thirsting it up and just taking naps and, uh, sitting there in
3: silence. That is unfortunate. uh, Will you, will you be contacting Constantine Kairos about this?
4: She'll be fine. So that'll be good. Um, but what we would love to talk about is WWE Q1 results. And, uh, you know, it's always fascinating to listen to a call, listen, read through all the documents and then, you know, do our best to kind of decipher the information as we see it. And, uh, just, but what do we learn? What is different? And, uh, we're in this holding period right now, right? WWE has a big TV deal that's going to start in Q4 of this year uh, in October when they move to Fox. And uh, I think we heard some clips there in the very beginning about how excited Vincent K. McMahon is about this new opportunity. A whole new we beginning. A whole new era for them. And then of course they have two other big TV deals that they have not yet even closed. They have a UK deal and an India deal that are still TBA. So that's going to be exciting for them. And then uh next year at some point in theory, the XFL is going to launch. So um a a
3: what was the AF or yeah I think so yeah See, that already we're, has we're folded. Big sports fans here so yeah AAF, yeah that's folded that didn't even last uh, the whole season right no it didn't
4: even last the whole season in fact it sounded like they didn't even have enough money to really launch the thing but they just kept going with it uh they if any if anything was embodying the spirit of professional wrestling in <laughs> football it was a promoter starting a fed without enough money to actually make it to the end Yes. um but that was crazy so, you know, that's already in a new weird situation. I think they even came out at one point that they basically went to Vince and offered to sell him the whole company. Uh, and he turned them down apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was an intriguing kind of development, but Q1 numbers, let's just talk, you know, kind of some of the first reaction to it. Yeah. Um, overall, um we can probably pull up the graphs now. Yeah.
3: So, we're on uh, YouTube right now live. Uh, this will be released in audio form as usual later, but just because there will be a lot of visual elements, I thought, why don't we do this on YouTube as well? So people can see the graphs and the numbers that we're talking about, which are always so exciting to talk about in audio form only. So right now on YouTube, you're just looking at the big nomics logo, uh, made by our friend Carl. And if I can figure out how to change this, we will start to go through the, the, the doc, the doc of docs here. So- the doc
4: of docs, but not the, uh, not, not, not Dr. Death, not Dr. Dr. Stevie Richards, but the doc of docs about monies. That's
3: right. And, and, uh, and we are monitoring the, uh, the, the chat here. We have someone asking Mookie and yeah, uh, that's a word. That is a word. So here's what happens. So I don't, I don't know if you, if you want to lead or if, or if you want me to, but biggest takeaways here. Uh, this was not a good quarter for WB. This was not a, uh, a, a good time for George. Uh, the stock fell, uh, 12.8%. I think that was just on the day of Thursday. It fell a little bit more, a couple more percent on Friday. Uh Revenue, I've, you should be able to see the graph here. Revenue was down just a little bit. On, this is Q1 compared to the Q1s of the previous two years, 2018 and 2017. Uh Revenue was down just a little bit to uh, $182.4 million. But operating income, I've got three profit metrics here that WWE reports. Operating income was at a negative 6.8. Net income was at a negative 8.4. Of course, adjusted EBITDA was, was okay, but still down from previous uh, Q. Yeah, and I
4: wouldn't even call that okay. I, I would say that was bad. Well, I mean, um, it, it wasn't at a negative is what I meant. But. Yeah, I think, I think they claimed it was in the range that they had said it would be in. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, look at those revenue numbers. They're so similar between those three years. And yet the profit metrics are so different between the three years. And if you think about the idea of escalating media rights and that basically you're getting paid more and more for the same content, it's a little surprising that you would be having such a big hit on your um, operating income and on your EBDA unless other segments are really struggling. And, and at the very end of this document, um, I did kind of a different take on things for how um, how we can break this down as well. And so I would love to – I'll show you that and talk to the, about that. But if we just scroll down just a little bit from a stock standpoint, the stock closed Wednesday at $98.14, meaning it was just inches away from being at that $100 mark, which I don't think they've ever hit that $100 mark yet. I don't think um, so. I must
3: mistaken. No, I don't think they have. They've, yeah, just high 90s so far.
4: Yeah, and so that's been kind of this whole like, oh, will they, won't they, Rachel Ross uh excitement here. And instead of going up, it started at eight four fourteen, by the time they actually opened on Thursday, which of course they released the results right before they opened for the stock market, it already dropped to $90 or less in pre-market trading. It continued to kind of plummet during the day to $85.38 on Thursday, and then it closed Friday at eighty three fifty
3: two. Now, correction, 52-week high,
4: $100.45. Wow, when did they hit that? I'm not sure. Yeah, you're going to have to do some research on that. So I, I was wrong. Yeah, as, as often I am. Um Again a couple years ago, even a year ago, we, we would often, you know, talk about, you know, a $25 valuation for WWE as if it was, you know, a remarkable thing. And so, you know, still being in the high eighties is an incredible market cap for this company. And, um, a lot of people talked about about the whole like Vince McMahon liquidating all the stock a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I, I think they forget that he actually liquidated it at a valuation that was in the mid eighties. So yes, if he had liquidated it today, he'd probably only get a valuation in the mid seventies. But, um, you know, it's, it, it wasn't that he was getting a hundred dollars a share when he did his big sell the other day either. Um, that said, I think there's some interesting metrics going on here and you have different, different narratives that have been emerging. You have people who are out there throwing around the who cares about ratings you have people out there throwing around the well everything's going to be fine in Q4 and then you have people throwing around the sky is falling and obviously no one of those narratives is the the one that's going to fully explain what's going on nor is it going to encapsulate kind of the full health of the company this is a mature company that has the ability to invest enormously in things be it performance centers be it relaunching w w e network or be it uh buying a new headquarters and investing a ton of money in that, so they they are mature enough that they have the ability to do capital expenditures and other kinds of of things, and that doesn't even get into the politics and the revenue stream around the the saudi deal so i mean they they're not in a place where they are going to fail and crumple and you know diminish, but that said, their earnings per share were dismal compared to what people expected it to be. I think they had expected. There to be a slight loss instead, it was almost like 10 times that number yeah. um, on earnings per share spaces. So it, it's not a shock to me that the stock, I won't say plummeted, but, um, you know, fell through the floor for yeah. a couple, for a couple hours there. Yeah,
3: and, and to put the stock price in perspective, this is still multiples above where it was a few years ago. Uh, yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were never even close to $30 for years and years and years yeah. and, and now being up in the eighties. So the, there's still people out there with enormously high valuations, you know, well over a hundred dollars. There's people out there who are kind of saying, Hey, why is your, uh, UK deal and your, your, your India deal taking so long? Maybe things aren't so great. And I can see you uh, pulling up the investor overview it looks like yeah. right now
3: well i I'm, I'm gonna pull up key performance indicators. I think that's a good good place to start before we jump into Vince's explanation about why things are the way they are. Um, so you just want to like let's just scroll through quickly the key performance indicators, which I think is the easiest thing for people to understand that's uh, it's the best document to look at uh, without having like uh, you know without reading and educating yourself about how to read SEC documents. Um, TV ratings were down. Uh, and, and this, this is, this has been the pattern for a while, but you, they, they open this key performance indicator document. Again, this is not something like we created. We were, I think, we, you know, uh, the Russell account has been, has been, uh, tagged in some tweets lately, being held up as like the bastion of, of credibility. And then like, look at this, according to Russell and like, I think someone's been, uh, a couple people have, uh, like, you know, use this this uh slide as if we created it. this is W's own document. This is W's own information that I mean they reference it from Nielsen and things like that. But this is something that they're publishing themselves. Um so again they they update this every quarter. So they just compare the Q ones across the board here of Raw, SmackDown, USA network top twenty five cable. So RAW down fourteen percent, SmackDown down thirteen percent, and that's that's down a little bit more than the USA network overall of twelve percent and down quite a bit more than the top twenty five cable, only down five percent. So
4: yeah. And, and, you know, people oftentimes are, are trying to say, Oh, it's a general slide for all of television. Well, the Kager on, um, top 25 networks from 2015 to 2018 was 5% for Q1, 3% for Q2, 4% for Q3, and 5% for Q4 with an overall about 4.4%. Now, it, it changes by year and whatnot, but, uh, generally 5% slide is probably about the Kager number. So when you're seeing double digit decline, that is actually much, much, much higher than what's going on. That said, you know, look at the size of those two bars, the, uh, the, the giant bar you see for Raw and SmackDown compared to the not so giant bars you're seeing for USA Network and top 25. Yeah.
3: And, and Raw and
4: SmackDown this, have a lot of attrition still left before they're going to be in line with the average show.
3: So related to this, I, I collected the data from all the previous reports of this kind from Q1 and just put them all in the same graph here. And, uh, you can, you can see how the, uh, the ratings have declined for each category here. And in this tweet, I just, you know, talked about how from 2015, to 2019 raw has gone down. This is just in Q1's 37% SmackDown down 19%. Of course, SmackDown is helped by, um, it's move from Thursday to Tuesday and it's move from being taped to live and the exclusive rosters. Um, Following the roster split in July 2016, but USA has been down 40, percent, which is which is down more than than Raw, and so in Raw's defense, maybe you know over that over at least this way to slice it, it Raw doesn't look so bad from this perspective compared to the USA. Well, Network. and
4: I think that's been a long argument here is that why would USA Network be continuing to bid and fight for Raw? I mean, how much money they paid to just basically keep Raw and give up SmackDown yeah. is a sign that USA Network acknowledges that they you know that some of their other biggest shows they've left like suits and whatnot are coming to a close they haven't had a repeat of the monk psych type era where you know they have all these independent shows that are doing good and they're left with kind of the conundrum of do you want to show a lot of repeats of other shows on other networks or do you want to create your own original content or what's the best way to kind of drive here should you be going to more live sports should you be doing this or doing that so it's it's um Certainly a sign about the value that it, there exists for uh, WWE on a USA type network.
3: But if you look at the wider scope of cable, top 25 cable uh, down only 18 percent. So that's a little bit less than SmackDown, even with the benefit of its move from Thursday to Tuesday and going live and having an exclusive roster. So uh, from that perspective, you could say that uh, you know cable is holding up better than than Raw and a little bit better than SmackDown over these four years. Is that four or five years. I don't know. Anyway.
4: Yeah, it, it's, it's a very complicated, you know, kind of, um, situation in terms of it. But I would say one of the biggest takeaways is the fact that things are sliding faster right now. The attrition is quicker, um, which, you know, is, is always going to be alarming. I think it, it suggests that you're eroding towards a more hardcore driven
3: base, yeah. but. So I, th- I think there, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about this. I know Joel Lanz of the Voices of Wrestling has brought up this, you know, point that this this should be concerning to people and has been yelling at people who are being defensive of wb and uh i, th- I th- in response to like one of these these tweet thing tweet uh, tweet uh debates i brought up. i think there's three questions that we don't know the answer to and someone i think sort of answered this this one number three but i think number one we don't know uh what viewership circumstances would cause smackdown to be moved off of the fox broadcast network i guess you know when you talk about like oh the ratings are declining I don't know at what point, I re- literally, I just don't know, and maybe somebody who's more familiar with the TV industry could tell us, but like, I don't know at what point, what is the threshold at which, you know, the viewership become so low if it's on Friday night on, on Fox, where Fox does start to get concerned and thinks about moving it from the Fox broadcast network to FS1. Is is it really, is it 3 million, I think, is, is about the number that uh, I think Meltzer has suggested? It would, would 2 million be low enough? I just don't know. And, uh, I don't know what contractual ability Fox would have to make such a move, and and I've kind of gotten some people suggesting an answer to me on this one. But if Fox were were to move SmackDown from Fox Broadcast Network to FS One, would that affect affect the payments to WWE? And someone replied to me saying that 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 possibility is probably baked into the uh, the stock price, and uh, they would probably not have to change. Um, payments so WWE yeah the same i would say would, it, it would probably be based
4: partially on whether or not they're getting flat fees or whether they're getting advertising revenue because obviously the advertising revenue value for going to an fs1 versus a, a fox would be very different mm-hmm. my gut would be the way that they've kind of put out the numbers in the documents here are very i wouldn't say definitive but they're pretty straight projections about how much money they're going to be getting and then when you look at the the longer history of wwe they've pretty much gone away from an, a model where they're getting advertising money. So with that in mind, it seems to me like they basically are set up for set contractual payments and it's up to Fox to decide what they're getting for that money. Um, I do think that they'll kind of stubbornly stay with WWE, regardless of what the uh, viewership is for at least a year. I, I don't think it's something where they're going to panic and change really quickly. It's a five year um, deal. Exactly. So it, I, I, I see it as something where both WWE and Fox have it in their mind that they've got to make this work. So they're going to invest in it and they're going to make it work and they're going to be pushing it more and more and more to um, make sure that they have the stars that they want on that. And we're already seeing, you know, I would say some shades of that, right. Where what is it? Roman Reigns just switched over to SmackDown. Yes. And, you know, for a while there, it, you know, we got to get into to what Vince was talking about after we finished this kind of TV ratings discussion. Um, Because I think there's a lot of implications around what was Ronda Rousey's value to WWE in a lot of different forums. And I think you can give her a different scorecard completely based on economic value versus ratings value versus in-ring value versus perception value. You know, each one of those you could probably put on a scatter plot and have a very different rating system to it.
3: Yeah, and I just wanted to show here that uh, if you're going to defend WWE and say, hey, look, they're still highly ranked. Uh, the average rank uh, of, of SmackDown was still number three in Q1. Uh, it was it's still average for, for Raw with a max of two because there's three separate hours that get reported. It was still an average of number three, which is within the the range of what they've been doing over the last four or five years. So, yeah, and I
4: would I'd say there. So it's still a very good number, still highly overall. Ranked on, it's not yeah, on very cable. very highly ranked, and so it'll just be a question about you know how do people perceive it and, and deal with it. Uh, I, I would like to kind of get into the more interesting heart of the matter, something that you can't just look at a graph and see, but um, rather Vince McMahon's description of what happened on the talent. And I, I was hoping you could bring up the audio from that.
0: When you look at a quarter, uh, and I mentioned this last time, on the first quarter, they're going into, or the fourth quarter going into the first quarter, we had a, a, a very unusual um, situation in terms of talents, top talents, as well as mid-card talents being out. Some uh, 15 talent during the course of that period. When you don't have talent, you don't have storylines. you don't have storylines, you know, then you're not going to do that well in terms of live events, in terms of television ratings. It was like a cascade of things that happened. I'm happy to say we have all of those talents back. And in addition to that, we have new talents coming in. And during that period of time, when, uh, when top talent was out, we made new talent. So, um, I'm just belabored the point in terms of where we are with the quarter but uh, uh, the future you know when you look at that and I'm not trying to quote future you guys except to tell you um, you know what it's going to be like there, there's a you know we, we've hired new people in a writing team um, that uh, they're really going to help us out in terms of uh, television and television ratings and digital social all that sort of stuff we've got a new team in terms of live events and uh, that have just started now, so we'll see the live events continue the, you know, the, on an upward uh, trend. Um, in coming, uh, the latter part of September, we're gonna have, a, it's almost like a, it's not quite a metamorphosis, but we're gonna have a whole new beginning. We're gonna, the promotional value alone, notwithstanding, you know, uh, rights fees and what have you, promotional value alone in terms of Fox, in terms of commitments from NBCU, is something we've never seen before. Uh, not even close, It's extraordinary. And it's a call it the kickoff, I suppose. Uh, and it's going to kick us into uh, again, an element we've never seen before in terms of promotion with everything, WWE talent storylines, uh, you name it. So it's a rise rising tide a situation that we're really looking forward to and having that carry on throughout the year.
3: So I just want to speed through just why he's explaining that talent has affected all these metrics here. We saw Ava, this is like YouTube viewership was actually down when it's been on the rise quarter over quarter. It's this is the first time it was down since 2016. Um, social media was, uh, kind of flat, not as big of a deal here, but we saw that, uh, WrestleMania numbers were a little bit down from last year's first time. We'll get into more detail on that, but this is the first time that WrestleMania or that the W network appears to be reaching its, uh, its peak here. Uh, let's see. And then just attendance, attendance was down in this quarter too. And, uh, that would, it's down even further if you took out the Royal Rumble effects there. So go ahead.
4: Yeah. And one, one thing that's tough is when you throw it around a number like 15, right? So I don't know if you can see my screen right now. Um, I did kind of a quick and dirty spreadsheet. Are you able to see this? Mm, The viewers can see it now. They can see your
3: Excel.
4: Great. So these numbers are not exactly right because I think some of the data I got duplicated by week. But what I was trying to do is get kind of the week number and then look at the wrestler and then see which weeks were they out and where were they around and whatnot. And, you know, try to identify who were some of these people that weren't there. And, you know, what I see is, you know, Seth Rollins, obviously Becky Lynch had kind of the couple weeks there where she couldn't wrestle. Um, Dolph Ziggler has been kind of MIA for a while here. Um, Alexa Bliss also kind of coming back during that period. Um, you have, uh, of course, Roman Reigns, probably the, the absolute most important person, um, of the active roster who is out. You have, um, Kevin Owens, who was out for a very long time, you had Randy Orton kind of get a, a relaxed schedule, and he was out for a while. You have Bray Wyatt, who just recently made his return. You had Sami Zayn, who had of course been out for a very long time. Um, you know Luke Harper, who just returned at WrestleMania week, then um, and, and you know Ty Dillinger, who left the company, and and other people, and then uh, even Brock Lesnar. You know he he's very erratic for when he's wrestling and when he's around. Um, but there there's definitely some big stars that you could argue were out. And there was a question put to George Barrios at one point where someone basically said, well, there's two ways to read this. This could be macroeconomic or this could be kind of based on your business. Explain to me why you don't think it's just a macroeconomic shift. And he basically said, well, we saw a bend in the metrics at a very particular time. And that was a sign to us that perhaps this was um not in fact a um you know a a, a issue that was related to Overall headwinds, but in fact, it was more that like Roman Reigns left television for a long time. And so people just stopped watching or Seth Rollins got hurt or, or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were out or whatever it is. So that was really interesting to me. It was just kind of the, the, um, the certainty they had that the bend in the, the, the curve was based on the metrics that they were internally, uh, looking at. And then at the same time that it, it's bounced back, but at no point did they actually sit there and list off who these quote unquote 15 talent were. Um, so what's kind of left up to us to kind of piece it together to guess who it is. Obviously, John Cena is also going to always play a big role. And, you know, Mr. Cena, uh, has not been, um, extraordinarily featured on WWE television for the last year and here I, 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 as and he's and been Cena's doing a lot of television and, and I mean, uh, movies and other, other projects.
3: And Cena's not worked a, a full house show schedule since the end of 2015.
4: Yeah. Um, so he worked, the, the data... he worked between week 52 and week three occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, This year, but beyond that, he was really out for most of it. So he came back for kind of that holiday tour and a little snippet here, a little snippet there. But, you and know, so for the majority of Q1, he was the, not on The data
3: television. that you just went through is, is just the data for this past year or this past quarter?
4: So I went through – I took 2017 through 2019, kind of turned it into wrestlers and then split it up by week. And then I was trying to focus on week one through week 13 of 2019 to say – who was either disappearing, reappearing or gone, mm-hmm. maybe compared to someone who had been there the weeks prior.
3: So, so did you find that there were more absences in, in 2019 Q1 versus other Q1s?
4: Um, Oh, I forgot to mention Braun Strowman. He, he's probably the other one that I think is a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, that of course he, he worked the TLC match, but beyond that, he really was out from like week 47 through like week three. Like, he was out for a long time there. Um, did I find that it was more e- epidemic than others? Yeah. Obviously, I think it's always about the severity of it. And, uh, I'm not sure what our viewers are looking at right now. Are they looking at your screen or my they, screen? They're
3: looking at my screen.
4: Okay, great. Um, just, I would say, I think losing Roman is a big deal. I think losing Seth is a big deal. I think losing Braun is a big deal. I think not having John Cena is a big deal. Um, I think, the issues around Becky Lynch's ability to be on television or wrestle and whatnot can can hinder, though I would still argue she she had a pretty breakout period still in Q1 of this year. Um I think not having Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn matters. I think a guy like Bray is Bray and Dolph are kind of those other players that are really questionable in terms of whether they're they're making the big difference to the overall WWE universe, uh viewers or not. Um but not, it's never going to be additive. So I, I think all those things are good examples of, of people that can impact it in some way. Um, but you know, obviously it's about the biggest stars. This is a star driven
3: business. So I, my reaction is that I'm skeptical of that defense that, um, that talent absences are that much worse than they were in previous periods. I, I seem to remember something and, and this is just off the top of my head. I haven't done any, any real research into this. And, and maybe you can tell me if the research that you, you've done contradicts this but i I seem to remember something in q1 2016 leading up to wrestlemania 32 in 2016 that there were a lot of absences yet things did not fall as sharply in that year as they have in this year and in this time period um wrestlemania had a lot of interest around it The, the the metrics did not suffer attendance did not suffer to this degree uh wrestlemania subscribership even though it was a newer service at that time uh was up in that year versus the prior year uh, and even when I've looked at Google, Google Web Search, 2016 was a really high point for Google Web Search, and Google Web Search for WB, uh in this period is down quite a bit.
4: Well, and, and you and I have talked about um, the Ronda Rousey effect on ratings many times, where it's an, an intriguing conundrum where female viewership actually began to accelerate its decline yeah, it after Ronda so came on percent. television, and yet you there would be a lot of arguments that this is the most female centric portion of of w w e programming
3: in history yeah, and if you're watching on youtube you can see that uh over that over the uh let's see here q one two thousand eighteen which is when she first showed up was down six percent and uh down thirteen percent q two down nineteen percent in q three down seventeen percent in q four and down twenty five percent in uh q1 2019 that's the f that's female 18 to 49 viewers of raw
4: but at the same time we can see smackdown falling and you know i wouldn't blame her for a smackdown's attrition at that time so it's just kind of an interesting thing of women in general were watching less and in some ways it was that the men had dropped off the year prior right and so the women were kind of catching up to where the men had been and of course um from a viewership standpoint Maybe it's changed, but it used to be one-third woman, two-third male in terms of general demographics watching television. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's a matter of,
3: of blame, but like the astonishing thing is that you would think Ronda Rousey's arrival as this mainstream superstar, as this person that people know, uh, showing up on WTV on a regular basis for the first time, that that would increase female viewership. And it didn't. Uh, it coincided with a decrease, a disproportionate decrease of female viewership compared to male viewership. So that, that
4: said, you know, Vince went out of his way to put over Rhonda in, in the, um, uh, the meeting and, and in the call. I don't know if you have any of the audio from that. He said
0: she did an awesome job. Yeah. And again, just speaking of Rhonda, uh, Rhonda did an extraordinary job for us. Um, her, her challenge was to bring the entire women's division up. And as you know, that was our main event at this year's WrestleMania involving Rhonda. So, Rhonda's uh, task that she chose, uh, and of course is great for us, is to build that whole division, have more visibility uh, on that division, and to make stars, and to make uh, stars that now you have stories with even after Rhonda leaves. You know, and it was, you know, obviously we knew that Rhonda was going to leave for for a contract. So, when you look at what happened at WrestleMania, you know, and with Becky Lynch and and Charlotte and and others, the entire division, you know, the focal point and the stories, they're coming out of that. Rhonda did an awesome job. She did an awesome job.
3: So, so uh, as I listened to that, um I was listening to that with someone who said, "Wow, I hope hope Becky Lynch and Charlotte weren't listening to that because it, it sort of made it sound like uh the women's evolution and the elevating of, of women's wrestling in WWE was really mostly thanks to to Ronda Rousey, or it was Ronda Rousey's task to bring them up to a place that they couldn't be before."
4: Um, I and I don't know if that's so true. In, in my mind, at least, I think. Um, a, to get Ronda Rousey to agree to do professional wrestling was a big risk for her. And the negotiations and the money that must have been involved were, were extreme. And I'm sure there's the kind of the equivalent of an, of a non-disparagement agreement here where WWE is not going to bury Ronda in any way as, even as, 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 uh, capricious as, as Vince can be. I think, um, he knows better than doing that too. I think you can make a very strong argument that the SmackDown super deal that they got was partially funded by Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. And you see that in the fact that, you know, there's the story that where they basically say, you know, on the big screen, what was there is Triple H and Ronda. Uh, and that was what the Fox executives were throwing around. Um, I don't think anyone knew what the Ronda experiment would result in. Um, I think she did become a very popular and top star for the company. Um, Whether or not she drew in new audiences, whether or not she, you know, elevated the the scene is up for other people to kind of debate. But I think she had a big impact on her time and she definitely got them a ton of media that they never could have touched otherwise without her. Um, I think her tenure is, is proving to be a little shorter than I think even some people expected it to be. I think most of us expected she'd still be around by the time the Fox deal started. So that in itself is already kind of an interesting um footnote about this but in general you know vince mcmahon is still closing in on being a billion dollar company and you could argue that ronda rousey was part of that and in addition it's a pr coup for him you know the fact that he can put put ronda rousey on his show and ufc doesn't have her um i think that's a big coup for wwe in the way that they feel that they can portray themselves and as we get into some of the other metrics here I think we'll talk a little bit about you know um, people focus very heavily on certain metrics and they miss some of the other metrics that are actually really important to the company and that's where they should be seeing the red flags and so ratings is is kind of overplayed I think as one of them but for instance um, advertising and sponsorships is a really important metric for them and you know uh, or consumer product licensing and if I were to say to someone hey what what happened with advertising and sponsorship sales I don't think ninety 99- nine percent of even the WrestleNomics geeks could tell you whether it was up or down for this quarter. I know because I spent some time looking into it, but it was even shocking to me. And I think things like the perception of the women's brand can impact things like advertising and sponsorship sales. So it's intriguing to me to say that she was so successful because I don't know whether we're seeing that reflected through in the numbers that they're demonstrating here. But at the same time, it's against the null state that we don't know what that null state was. We don't know what they thought was going to happen before they could bring her in.
3: Yeah, there's a story in um, I think it's Variety, right, or is it was the Hollywood Reporter uh, about the meeting uh, at Fox to to sell SmackDown to Fox and how this big image that I'm showing on YouTube right now of Ronda Rousey lifting Triple H on, on her shoulders at WrestleMania uh, was in the background as they were making the sales pitch. So, uh, but 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 then again, Ronda Rousey—it's not like Ronda Rousey's going to appear on SmackDown in October or, or any, anytime soon, right? But uh, but yeah, but, we
4: have no idea. I I think she'll still I think she'll rock it up. And make those special appearances or seen it up or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she's done done, but I think she's, um, you know, out of the picture for a while here mm-hmm. and maybe going to special guest star it. Sure. Um, but at the same time, people really have to remember the difference between a earnings call discussion and a WWE conference call with reporters discussion. The way Paul Levesque talks about talent on a conference call, but for his NXT shows, and the way that they talk about it on the earnings call is, you know, diametrically opposed. You you rarely hear even names like Roman Reigns being mentioned on these earnings calls. It's usually only about the John Cena's of the world or the people that are at the the very tippy tippy top, you know, the Ronda Rousey's of the world. And so while Becky Lynch has become a big deal in the wrestling community, not any of these analysts who are, you know, I, I doubt Laura Martin even knows who a Becky Lynch is.
3: Yeah, although Kofi Kingston was mentioned, I think we're going to play that clip of Triple H. uh, Yeah.
4: And, but again, that was Triple H talking about talent. The way Vince talks about talent and the way Triple H talks about talent or George Berrios talks about talent is very different on these calls.
3: Vince did try to like sell that Becky Lynch and Charlotte were made bigger stars because of the match. Yeah. And and I,
4: and I think that's, I think that's his view on it is that, you know, it, it worked as a, a trifecta is that, you know, they built up each other and that, that they got a rub. And I know to wrestling fans, that's anathema. But you know that there is some interesting um, kernel of truth to some of these things they're discussing, even if people are are incredulous, and even if certain metrics aren't necessarily um, moving in the direction that you'd think would support that narrative.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, where do we want to go now? Keep scrolling well, through the doc here. We've gone. Yeah, this, we're going through all different thing.
4: parts of the doc as usual. I've I've kind of thrown us off balance um, a little bit. Um, you know, we had Brandon Ross had a good question where he basically said, "Why do you think things are
3: going to get better?" Yeah, and then that's that's the uh, W's answer to that was basically Vince uh, playing, you know, answering in the way that we just heard. Although Barrios did uh did talk about how consumption year over year for Avod was up, actually up twenty three percent because Brandon Ross had brought up how Avod was down, and you know, how do you, how do you think you, things are actually going to get better, especially on the women's side where you're losing? And he sort of got cut off by by some technical difficulty. But uh, I think he was referring to Rousey, and that's why the Rousey discussion uh, began. Of course, it looks like they're uh, missing Sasha Banks, at least uh, f- for a little while here. Who knows if she'll come back as well?
4: Yeah, another good example of um, changes that, that happened. But um, obviously, you, you know, they, they've they continuously gone to the narrative that WWE is a brand and the brand is strong rather than WWE is the stars and these stars are the only make or break people. So that's what made this, this talent discussion really so, so intriguing for us. Speaking of talent, speaking of stars, speaking about who represents the brand, I'm clicking right now on the investors page. I'm clicking on the, um, I think it's SEC filing documents. I'm clicking on the section that says annual reports and I'm clicking where it says 2017. 2017 annual report, as you might recall, had who on the cover? Was it Oscar? It was Asuka in this elaborate headdress. It was, it's, a, it's a really cool picture, actually. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, no, no annual report. I mean, we have the annual report. We don't have the cover yet for 2018. the cover yet. And, and we don't and have that so, business partner summit yet either.
4: No, and so those are both things that historically were posted about the last week in April. Yeah. Um, when I went back, I went through my notes and found them like April 25th, April 23rd, April 29th. So I'm hopeful that um, we'll get those things in the near future here. And I, right I, I have
3: reached out to WWE uh, Media Relations about uh, when when the Business Partner Summit video will be posted. Of course, if you don't know, the Business Partner Summit is a a big presentation that WWE gives at WrestleMania weekend about the, the state and the future of their business. And uh, we usually get that, and, and Mookie just analyzes that in extreme detail. Uh, but we have not re- that has not been publicized yet.
4: Well, I, the reason I've always looked at it in extreme detail, uh, first of all. What a beautiful roadmap to understand the business thinking of WWE without it necessarily being driven through the lens of, you know, storytelling stories, but more through like, what are they doing in each of these different revenue lines? And I think that's fascinating. And I honestly, if you're a student of the business of professional wrestling, I think you're a fool not to sit there and listen to it and and understand it too. So what you're you get, saying is everyone but you and me are fools. i never would say such a, such a thing. <laughs> I'm saying I'm if you want to enlighten yourself, it is a very good piece of primary information. It's a it's a infotainment driven piece of facts. But I've learned so much about their business. You know, when people ask me, what do you think the WWE Network 2.0 is going to look like? Mm-hmm. I've got a picture of them standing in front of a stage showing it. And I think that's like, you know, there's so many good pictures that you can get from this this uh uh event. Global that, localization you know, we learned about last year. Yeah, or, you know, Scooby-Doo standing on stage with John Cena. Like, whatever it's going to be. There's nice. just fun pictures from this event. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And if you're, again, like one of these wrestling news aggregators, it behooves you to spend the time. You could write 10 articles based on the things that they say in these things. Also, if you're actually tracking these executives, people forget how big WWE is in terms of, of their upper echelon of executives. It's one of the few times you're going to not only hear the George Barrows and the Michelle Wilsons of the World talk, but you'll hear the head of consumer products, you'll hear the head of digital engagement, you'll hear other people going around and talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, as you as Brandon is kind of scrolled to here on the 2018, you can see Cricket Wireless and their their big part here, and all the different executives coming out on stage. Um so it's I just think it's a fascinating opportunity to get inside the mindset of WWE and more and more what people forget is the value of WWE is driven so much by them hitting these internal metrics that they set for themselves around could be hours of engagement of programming could be around the adjusted. It could be around their worldwide expansion or, or, or number of content hours or view people that are doing social media accounts in other countries or whatever it is they're going to do. Those are the metrics that they're doing. And one of the things that I, I think was underplayed in this um, latest Q1 results But if you start looking at it, one of the biggest costs that they had, it says operating income was a loss of 6.8 million compared to income of 21.8 in the prior year, reflecting a decline in revenue, increased fixed costs, including strategic investments, as well as higher stock compensation costs driven by the increase in the company's stock price. And so one of the things that I think people don't always get is the fact that the metrics that they push in that business partner summit are the metrics oftentimes that the executives themselves are being compensated on. And, they're, and that's in fact driving more and more money going to some of these executives. And so it's very important to them to hit those metrics. And so when you listen to this call, it will get you a much better idea about are they are they bullish on China or India? Are they more focused on Latin America? What are they doing? Where are they licensing? How are they dealing with advertising? How are they portraying the relationship especially now that they're going to have both USA and Fox, how are they kind of balancing those two different, very uh, dynamic media dynasty relationships that they have to play in? That's fascinating to me. So uh, I I honestly will always say that's one of the most interesting things you can sit and do. And unfortunately it's very rarely transcribed. So I spend a lot of my time transcribing it and uh, I hope more people, you know, continue to check it out. I think it's one of the best ways you can learn about the business of professional wrestling today.
3: So, as we move on to the, the Laura Martin question about talent. Yeah. So, let's see. Let's just jump into that, that clip where Laura Martin asks, uh, Vince. She often likes to ask Vince uh, direct questions. And this time she asked about, you know, why, how long does it really take to, uh, create one of these big stars to help the business? So let's just jump into that clip.
1: Okay, good. So then my other question is for Vince about talent, uh, development. So, um, I mean, one of the potential, um, interpretations of the rating softness could be maybe some of our talent is aging or audiences are getting tired of it. Um, And I'm interested since you've been doing this a long time, Vince, what are the metrics you look at to determine when you need to bring in a new, you know, a new winner, a new superstar to reinvigorate the um, sort of the storylines. And, and do you feel that a lot of these international people, my recollection is it takes like five years to bring in somebody from the beginning to where they can really be at the top of the of the of the ledger of the main roster, but can you remind us also how long it takes to build one of these John Cena Roman Reigns kinds of characters?
0: I'll let uh, I'll let uh, Paul that handle some of that color, please.
2: Sure. So you know, it's interesting. Obviously, there's no exact timing on on what it takes. And first of all, we, we don't we don't bring in superstars; we create them. Um, so, but there's no timing on on how long that takes. Some it's immediate, some it takes longer. Um, we're constantly bringing in talent, so it's not a matter of how many leave now. Um, as we Vince mentioned earlier, when we have absences, new talent step in. An example of that would be Kofi Kingston stepping into a role and becoming WWE champion. Um, you know, as as those things happen, those performers rise to another level. When the other performers come back from that absence, they, they it, now it's a higher tide. Um, in 2018, we brought up over 15 talent. Um, a lot of them have succeeded. We've already brought up 10 in in 2019 um, through the system, through the talent development system. So it's working very effectively. And when you look at the roster of superstars, 80 percent of the main roster of Raw and SmackDown right now have come through that system, have come through our talent development system. So the main event players that you see came through that. So it it works very well. It's very successful. And as was mentioned earlier, too, um, there's a 35-year track record of generation after generation of creating um, new superstars that are icons and last generations. And and we have a a very good track record of doing that. Um, So we're very confident in that.
3: So they Vince uh, declined to answer that and kicked it off to the executive vice president. You know, all, all executive vice presidents think they're so important now. But executive vice president with live, live events talent and creative, Paul Levesque.
4: I was amused at the Yahoo transcript for whatever reason. It said yeah. this was Stephanie McMahon, Levesque. maybe because they heard the word Levesque and yes. they just like
3: plugged it in. Yeah, But, but it's so clearly from Triple H,
4: doc, H yeah. talking there. Looking um, at doc, we've pasted, transcript.
3: The, we've pasted the, the transcript here and the transcript was quite confused, but yeah.
4: Yeah. But that's all right. That happens. There was, uh, I, I, I will secretly admit that I admonished Josh Nason, um, cause he was attributing, um, some of George Berrios' comments to Michael Weiss, the, uh, IR, uh,
3: director. Yes. He's not and the first said, one to, to, to make that mistake. Yeah.
4: And I just said, you know, Michael Weiss says three things on the call. He says this call will be recorded, and there's forward-looking statements. He says we'll take some questions, and then he'll say thanks everyone. <laughs> he, he says basically those three things and nothing else on these calls, as far as the many, many dozens of these calls I've ever heard. Yeah. So I, I was just like, I can guarantee you, it's George Berrios. If if it's someone who's being talking a lot on the show, it's probably George. Yes. And Laura always asks Vince. For a question so uh if you were playing uh need bingo you would uh definitely get that square filled in
3: so what do you think of this um, answer about talent it, it, it doesn't there's no timeline uh 80 of the roster is gone through through triple h's de- talent mm-hmm. development system and uh they've got a great track record for making stars so don't worry about and, it and and your other favorite line we don't bring in superstars we create them that's right. We, we bring them in and they're taught how to look into the camera or whatever they do. And, and then I can do
4: It's always going to be one of those things where you, this is not, no earnings call is being done for purely analytical purposes. It's being done for PR. Oh. So... There's always that element that they have to spin things. And if you're spending a lot of money on a performance center, you need to make sure that you're showing the returns for that performance center. So if that means you have to argue that everyone from Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and and um, Cesaro all came through the center to become stars, that's the thing. But you could also point to an example like AJ Styles and say, didn't he basically come on television, become a big star and prove that he could be imported? What about Nakamura. Did he really become, did he, did, did his success only stem from NXT versus someone like a, a Rusev, who I'd say Rusev was incredibly successful, um, in WWE. And if he hadn't come through NXT, I don't think he ever would have been at that level. So y- y- there's definitely people that have developed through the system. 80% is obviously a generous number. Um, and there's people that languish for years and years and then suddenly explode. So, you know, Becky Lynch is a great example of someone who, has really exploded this year mm-hmm. in her ability to be a, a top, top player. And it's not that, you know, it made a difference about when she was in developmental. It just made a difference about, you know, when was, was the stars aligned to really let her showcase all that. So it's, it's always really intriguing to me, um, wow. how they're going to frame that, but it's a PR move. And, and I don't, you know, I don't admonish people to say it's bad that they're doing pr because everyone does it on these kind of calls but it's so much to me it's about if you're going to spend that much money on your quote-unquote global localization program you want to ensure that you are you're always reinforcing this narrative that they're in the pipeline and that we can access them and there's no formula and i think everyone would agree there is no formula about how many months does it take for someone to
3: click yeah i i think this question gets to the heart of the the wider trends the wider declines that, that we're seeing in, in W business. Uh, we saw some some declines last year. You know, there was a quarter, I think Q3, where, where live events, we'll probably talk more about live events, where live events uh, had a, a negative operating income. Um, but, you know, we've seen TV ratings declines, you know, sometimes below the rate of TV overall for a while, and, and merchandise has even been down uh, lately. But I think it's sort of ironic that, that Vince sort of kicked this this question off to to Triple H and uh, and and that throughout the history of wrestling has been the the issue about what 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 draws economics and, it's, and it's stars and it's creating stars, and I'm skeptical about WWE's explanation that well because 15 talent were out that's really the reason why. Uh, the, the metrics were down. I think the the problem is, and the problem has been for a, a number of years. And I think this the, the declines that that are finally being seen now have been a long time coming. And I think there's a belief among a lot of people who who observe this company that there's a larger problem with star creation and with creative. While Vince McMahon remains the head of creative on the on the main roster side, but meanwhile there's going to be increasing TV rights, especially after Q4 of this year. Because of the, just the TV landscape, the premium that's been put on live programming, that promises to continue to improve the finances of the company overall. And it softens any signal that to, for W to make any changes. And it softens any signal for, for any sort of creative reflection about, well, are we creating stars in the right way? Are we, you know, are, are people being brought up from NXT in the right way? Are we, is our vision of pro wrestling? The best possible vision for progressive because we've got, you know, every economic signal to tell us, Hey, this company is going to be more profitable over time because of the guaranteed and escalating TV rights fees, uh, that is going to receive for at least the next five years.
4: Well, and it's a double whammy. So let's switch you over to the trending schedules. The next tab over. Uh, yeah. Let's go, um, up a page. Let's go up another page. Let's go up another page. <laughs> And let's go to that one right there where it says revenues, media, other. And if you look at that line, starting in 2017, it goes 7.3 million, 11.9, 9.1, 20.6, uh-huh. 8.9, 60.6, oh. 11.7, 63.5, 9.4. 9.4 is this most recent quarter. So you have these two anonymous, anonymous, uh-huh. anomalies. Anomalous. Anomalous. Thank you. In sure. Q2 of 2018, where they did 60.6 million in Q4 of 2018, where they did 63.5 million, where the number was up anywhere between 40 and 50 million dollars over the average for other. Why would that when you be? Scroll, when you scroll down to the little footnote on two for other, it says, and I quote, Other forms of media monetization reflect revenues earned from distribution of other content, including but not limited to scripted reality and other in-ring programming, as well as theatrical and direct-to-home video releases. So this is a combination of DVD sales, reality programming, and most importantly, probably the Saudi money. And they they more or less admit that in one of the um, the the functions here, where they say basically um, that it's it's a function of the uh, the Saudi money, along with maybe a little bit of the the, the Facebook money coming from um, mix match challenge.
3: And I've brought up the infamous spreadsheet where I try to deduce how much of the money is from Saudi Arabia uh, Q two, where the where the other media number is sixty point six million dollars. I, I can't figure out where else to put $53 million of that except for towards Saudi Arabia. And, yeah. uh, and we've got an extra $52.9 million in Q4. This is the quarter that includes both Crown Jewel and Super Showdown. So I think the combined value of that is somewhere around $53 million.
4: Yeah. So it's just the point here, what I'm trying to get at is they have a cushion for how their revenue is being generated that – allows them to not necessarily have to only depend on uh uh ratings or star making or other things in order for them to sell content and you know in a broad based entertainment media company that's good for them um it will frustrate wrestling fans who care a lot about the quality of a professional wrestling program obviously but at the same time it doesn't necessarily spell economic doom for them mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, and the reason I, I flipped to that was to say, Laura Ann Martin from Needham and Company, or Needham, as uh, they refer to on the call, uh, had one other question where she asked about Saudi Arabia and the timing of Saudi
3: Arabia. Um And so maybe we have the audio for that? Because yeah, we don't know, uh at least we would not say in this call, when the Saudi Arabia events in 2019 will be.
1: And we do know you have to do a Saudi deal this year, and presumably you won't wait till fourth quarter. So it's either in Ben's quarter in Q2 or in my quarter in Q3, right? It's got to be one of those two, and that adds a bunch, right?
2: Yeah, so we're not going to talk about that uh,
0: again. So, um, you know, our guide obviously reflects uh, the, the best assumptions, best knowledge we have right now.
4: And what that was getting at was the fact that basically people said, well, Q4 is when your big TV deal kicks in. But you didn't start Q1 off all that great. But yet you keep saying 2019, we're going to be on par. We're going to hit our targets. How do you hit your numbers for the year? Unless you're getting a big infusion at some point from, say, Saudi Arabia. And that means we think Saudi Arabia is going to play a big role here. But we want to know which quarter it's going to be in because that makes a big difference to us in terms of understanding how you're going to pace it out. And so another, I think it's been uh, Swineburn. Uh, Morgan Stanley, I want to say he's from. I, I would have to think harder. But, um, he was, he was saying, well, I think it's going to be in Q2. And then, you know, Laura said, I think it's going to be in Q3. And we even have a bootlegging lawsuit from New Jersey, uh, which showed a date of November 1st. But there's this rumor of this June date where they were going to maybe bump the San Jose event, the pay per view that they had so that they could send people over there. And so there's a lot of ambiguity right now about when exactly WWE is going to Saudi Arabia. And I think based on their last go around, which was right on the heels of, of the, the Khashoggi death, um, they're trying to, in some ways, keep it as low profile as possible right now, especially if it's not a it's something that they're pushing.
3: Yeah, I think if I did some searching for this, you can find out an article from the Sun, which I think is just referencing Wrestling Observer Radio's the company is set to hold its next Saudi Arabia event on June 7th, And as you mentioned, there's uh, on the the schedule uh i don't know if i'll have time to pull up the, the yeah but it, it
4: mentions them yeah, going no, to riyadh on november and yeah, november hell 1st. they have two events they did last year maybe they'll do two this year maybe they won't um we had a thought that maybe it was a little forward loaded for the first year mm-hmm. in terms of of the content that they'd be producing so i'm not 100 percent surprised at the same time you know wwe weathered the storm right that they were able to hold the event in saudi arabia despite the criticism and just said, "This is what we're doing, and we're in a long-term partnership, and we're going ahead with this." And so, I wouldn't be surprised if Saudi Arabia continues to reward them by saying, "You know, you you stuck by us, and you didn't you didn't pull your support."
3: Yeah. So, um, you, you know, they might the, uh, keep doing more shows. The latest news from Saudi Arabia: Didn't they uh, they capture and, and uh, execute some people lately? No comment on that
4: i i i have not been reading my weekly saudi arabia news i know that um hassan minaj at the time 100 um spent a lot of time kind of talking about that and specifically trying to talk to jared kushner kind of live on television about the importance of that uh so we see here you know a um A schedule where you've color coded with some help from, you know, people kind of thinking about this, about what would be a raw show, what would be a SmackDown show going forward. Because when we get the schedule, it just basically says, where are they going to be each week? It doesn't say who's part of which tour. But if you work backwards and say, okay, where do I think TV is going to be? Who appears to be on the, you know, Saturday to Tuesday tour and who appears to be on the Friday to to monday tour i can figure some stuff out and then you just dig and dig and dig and you can kind of color code and then you can make some guesses on on which tour is at which place and uh it's and so we also see that saudi arabia date there
3: yeah i think this is from this from the washington post saudi arabia puts to death 37 people in largest max execution in three years so uh saudi arabia is still doing uh some uh sounds like pretty horrible things. And, uh, and again, this is the Saudi Arabia deal is not about W just going to Saudi Arabia and running shows on their own. These are uh, events that are big paid shows, uh, purchased by the government, by the, uh, the general sports authority. So. Yes. Yes, As
4: part of the vision, uh, vision 2020, uh, initiative to, to kind of expand the base of business for, for Saudi Arabia to be more than just oil revenue, Mm -hmm. uh, to be more like an entertainment or capital. Um, let's head down a little bit to um a couple pages deeper in in our our um doc here just keep going down uh, I want to go through this section I, it's called we derive our revenues primarily from the following sources um mm-hmm. so what this is is w w e in their ten q lists nine different places where they quote derive their their revenue from those primary sources and I wanted to go through them all and just kind of say this is how w w e thinks of their business and let's just put this in the context of are we are we addressing all of these different lines of revenue when we're dissecting what's happening with WWE here um so i'll i'll go through them all really quickly number 1 is core content rights fees associated with the distribution of WWE's media content now in theory this is actually all forms of media so this would include raw smackdown but then there's also Um, you know, the reality programming and Facebook and so forth. But if we look at the core content fees, they were up for the quarter, which was a 4% year over year. They were down from last quarter. Um, but that's important to remember that the reason it was 72.2 million in Q4, and it's only 68 million this year is, uh, in Q1 is there was 14 episodes of raw in Q4 versus only 12 episodes in Q1. So the number of raw episodes is going to have a big impact on the core content fees um so for each of these i kind of gave a check mark a, a green yellow or red so green means you're up and you're up enough that i call that good red means you're down and yellow means you're flat or around flat so i gave a green check mark to that one and and brandon did you even see this section did you even read this section yet
3: yes i, I was aware that you were doing this i was okay, I was okay. watching you do some of the typing live in real time
4: through the Google Oh, there live. we go uh, the next one is subscriptions to the wwe network well we can break this down a couple different ways domestic paid 1.17 million at the end of this quarter compared to 1.19 that means they lost almost 2% international 425,400 versus 433,600 so they lost about 2% so on both at the end of q1 going into wrestlemania they were down year over year so i'm going to call that negative um, the average number of people subscribing is interesting because it's actually up year over year, where it's up 2% on domestic and 1% on international, meaning that people mid quarter, there was more people watching. So I don't know whether that was that rest, that um, Royal Rumble kept people longer. Whether that means that, um, you know, more people were just interested to go for some of these peak events or what, but that, that's an intriguing kind of conundrum, which says at the end of the quarter, you had less people around, but in the middle of the quarter, you actually had more arithmetic, arithmetic, I can't even say that word, arithmically. Um, and then lastly, we had the WrestleMania number, which I would guess, I would guess,
3: I would guess it, it, the, the big jump for WrestleMania was just lower this year than last year. I know that's only to the end of March and Re- WrestleMania was the first week of April.
4: So you're cool. saying last year they did a better job of acquiring subscribers during the lead up to WrestleMania than they did this year.
3: I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want, want to we... interject here too? That there's been some discussion about, I think Meltzer is, is put, put forward the idea that, uh, viewership and network subs may be down because of, uh, people's reaction to Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I think as much as like I would like to think that people are thinking in a in an ethical and moral way, I'm kind of skeptical of that. I just think the um the lack of uh, star creation and interest around the matches is what is uh the main cause of the decline in various metrics over over last over this quarter anyway
4: and and I would also add that domestic paid was actually up for q one over the the quarter itself. Just, it's just at the very end, it was different.
3: However, but, however they're projecting that, uh, average paid subs in Q2 versus Q2 of 2018 will be down by 2 percent yeah.
4: And the WrestleMania number, as, as we alluded to it, in, in 2019, they had 2 million people, which is 1.77 million paid and 233,000 free. A year ago, they had 2.124 million, which is 1.81 million paid plus 316,000 free. So almost 100,000 more free. Yeah and um almost uh thirty thousand fifty thousand more paid, and the year before that they actually had about one point six six million paid two hundred and eighty eight thousand free for a one point nine five million yeah. number so, so basically twenty nineteen and twenty seventeen were almost at the same
3: place, yeah, so I think this is a big deal if we want to jump in and talk about this like the um this is the first time, and I remember like as, as this as this network has matured, I remember thinking like okay year over year from from the same quarter of the prior year average subs have been up, WrestleMania subs have been up. Now they're not. WrestleMania was down 6%. The Q- Q2 of 2019 is going to be down by like 2%. So either, in a best-case scenario for WWE, either this service has fully matured, which I I, don't, I, I still need to look at net, uh, Netflix subs to get an idea of like, has the U.S. Uh, subs for Netflix leveled off as well? But uh, in a best-case scenario, the, this network is is saturated and it's matured, or in a worst case scenario, people are just not as interested in this anymore. WWE, that is.
4: Yeah, it's, it's intriguing for sure. And, um, it, it, it's funny because this is the year that they said we're going to stop holding a conference call the day after WrestleMania where right. we announce what our sub number is. Right. Cause
3: they, they must have had an idea that this was coming. It looks like it's not going to be as good as last year. So let's not do it.
4: Um, well, they would have known on 331 that they were already in the hole. Right, um, right. And though I think they made the announcement that they weren't going to announce the WrestleMania number during Q1. They, I think, or during Q4, like when they did the annual report in February. Right. I feel like they made that note yes. as a little footnote that they yes. weren't going to do a post-WrestleMania number. So they also, yes, they had some leading indicators that it wasn't going to be good. Um I'm also thinking that they just kind of understood I I feel like this year they didn't push nearly as hard as they had in other years about you can get WrestleMania for free. Mm -hmm.
3: But I I think this is like a big story. If you're just, just trying to follow W business is that now the W network is going to tell you something about popularity, either it's telling you something about popularity now that there was a lack of interest or going forward, it's going to tell you something about popularity because it's not just about this is a new, a new service and people are just becoming more familiar and more willing to, to use this new technology. Now it's starting to level off and now it's going to be more directly pushed and pushed up or down by how interesting the product is.
4: And and I think when it moves in lockstep with ratings, there's a story there for sure. Yeah. I think when that when it's moving in opposite direction as ratings, then you have to really kind of dig into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um can I go to point yes. three on the yes. things that they say that drive money? Because they say subscription is the WWE network, but we don't get a straight subscription number. We could do some math and try to figure it out. But number three is called fees for our programming of pay-per-view. And so the whole network number as a whole was 47 million in Q1 compared to 46.75 in uh, Q1 of last year. So they were up 0.6%. So I'll, I'll give that a yellow chart mark. So sub- subs to WWE network is red, but the pay-per-view number plus subs to the network is almost flat. So I'll give that a yellow, but it, it also speaks to there's a ton of pay-per-view revenue, not a ton, but a, a Multi-million dollar revenue stream is still pay-per-view, traditional, and that's not something that is easily broken out in WWE numbers anymore. The next one is a green mark that I never thought I would give, and that's for feature film distribution. And, um, this is really about that other number that you, Brandon and I read through, but the other number is, uh, was 9.5 million for Q1 of 2019 compared to 8.88 million in Q1 of 2018, meaning we're up six and a half percent. And a lot of that is gonna be the revenue for reality programming like Ms and Mrs., but fighting with my family was released during q one um when I looked at Wikipedia, it said box office was above thirty eight million and they had a budget of like eleven million. They probably stand to make some good money on that show on that movie of uh, for whatever portion of it is they're associated with and so i I do think this will be an area where w w e has kind of stemmed its losses. And you know they might actually be able to make some money
3: from from feature films, so did you see I can't see with my family? Did you see the movie? I did not see the movie did I you did. i did i did did you like it? uh, it was decent uh it was okay it was fine i-, I did yeah. I, you know it was all right. I also saw the Avengers movie last night. Have you seen it? I have not seen it oh i i look at this. I am more up with pop culture than you are. I know
4: you really are you really are, but i I've been taking care of my wife, so uh I think I still win this battle okay. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, feature film distribution. I'll give them a green, green check mark on. Um, next one is the one that no one's ever talked about, but it's still actually a pretty big revenue stream. So 10.8 million dollars in the media section and the, uh, almost half a million in the live event section is advertising and sponsorship sales. And the 10.87 million for the media advertising and sponsorship sales was down for 12.2 a year ago at this time, that's an 11% decrease. It is the lowest quarter since Q1 of 2017 and live events money is, was up. It was 400,000 in Q1 compared to only 152,000 in Q1 of last year. But overall that's a big drop. And that's, and hitting a low point there, something even Michelle Wilson herself started talking about where she was just kind of saying, well, when we get on Fox, we're going to, you know, be the same product, but we'll get a new advertising base and, and position us with a tweak. Uh, i I do think that there's a story there that their advertising money is way down and if people want to say well who cares about ratings well maybe this is an example of why you should care about ratings because it does hurt your advertising and sponsorship sales mm-hmm. but, um but yet the next they're, they're
3: still they're still able to get the TV rights fees I guess like i, I the the big threshold there's got to be somebody in the in the TV world who has an idea of like at what point does would viewership become so low that it becomes not so valuable anymore? I don't know what that is. Well, know. and
4: and it's also about who's watching. You know, golf can get not great ratings, but Old still people. get great sponsors. So it's, it's also about the demographics of who's watching your programming. Um, live event sales. Uh, this was, you know, it has to be seen as a red mark. There's, I don't see any way you cannot see it that way. Uh, North American ticket sales are 24.1 million in this quarter compared to 29.8 million last quarter. That's a eight, 19% drop. Um, uh, somehow they did $193,000 in international ticket sales. We still don't quite know what that's for. I don't know if that's a residual payment for travel packages or has to do with like delayed Australia revenue or what, uh, or live, live event appearance fees for, you know, sending guys overseas or something. Mm -hmm. Um, other live event, um, they made about 1.5 million in Q1 compared to 800,000. That's mostly travel packages. And then so that's overall, they were down 15% year over year on live events. Um, they ran only 90 this quarter compared to 99. Live events also includes NXT revenue. So that 90 versus 99 is not completely analogous. But the big takeaway number for me was that attendance number, North American attendance for WWE was 428,600 people in uh, Q1 of 2019. for I think it's just for the 90 events on the main roster, compared to 536,100 for the 99 events, which means they dropped from about 4,800 versus 5,400 a year ago. That's a 12% drop when you really do the exact numbers. I think they tried to pass it off as an 11% because you're doing the rounding. But when you do the actual math, it's a little bit more discreet. But that includes a giant Royal Rumble show. They ran a Royal Rumble event in um, a stadium this year at, uh, was it the Chase something in Phoenix? Phoenix, yeah, Arizona. And so if you take out, they claim 48,000 people. If you take that out, you're down to 4,300 people for Q1. And last year, they said we did about 5,300 when you take Royal Rumble out. So they're down 19%. So a 19% year-over-year drop in attendance, to me, would be alarming, especially when you consider the fact that the ticket price really didn't move it was only a 1% difference between the ticket prices. So it's a very interesting kind of situation there where um, there was even a question by uh, David Karnarski of, of J.P. Morgan who said basically, well, a year ago or a quarter ago, you told me don't worry about a live event attendance because media events, where which is their code for basically TV shows versus house shows mm-hmm. or pay-per-views, they're up. So don't worry about that. And he said, and George Berrios, to his credit, answered this very honestly. We said we saw softness. All through live events in q one and i I do think that live event business is a very star driven business where if the stars are not coming to town, people don 't want to go to
3: those live events, and so not having a Roman reigns on the card makes a big difference yeah so I, two things here saudi arabia and and i 'm gonna hit my house show point again, but um I wonder just looking at this, I wonder why you know they're making you know maybe maybe a hundred million dollars f- tens of millions of dollars from Saudi Arabia every year. Why not just throw that in the live event segment and make that, that segment look healthier. If is there like some sec rule, maybe that that's making them put that in media. Probably
4: some way. Yeah. There's probably some accounting terminology about why they're getting the money, which is they're getting the money to
3: broadcast the show. They're not getting the money from the live gate. Okay. Okay. And so here we, so here we have another quarter where live event business doesn't look good. House show attendance doesn't look good. Attendance overall doesn't look good. Uh, the the you know the the segment was not profitable why run so many house shows and put all that wear and tear on on your wrestlers and and if you're saying that oh well our our business overall was down because of talent absences that's largely due to injuries why put all these people on the road to do these shows that are not very profitable and and then it's going to affect your metrics overall well
4: we can back up a little bit a you can't just book a show tomorrow and run it so a lot of the stuff is booked far in advance and if you go around canceling show after show after show you're going to create a lot of ill will with these arena bookers
3: my point is don't cancel shows tomorrow but like why isn't there some plan
4: well and so i i think you know he talked about last quarter that they were kind of implementing a new live events plan so i think personally you're still on the run rate of the old plan is is the simplest way to put it I, I think there's alarming factors, but you know, you're on, you, you're tied down for what you have to do. So I think it's something quarter after quarter you should continue to monitor. Now, your argument is should you do live, should you do house shows or not?
3: I think my argument is do fewer house shows. You'll have fewer injuries. You'll have happier people if you still pay them the same amount. Cause I know they get fees based on how many shows they work, but you, you would have people at home more. They would be healthier. The morale hopefully would be higher. And uh, maybe you wouldn't if if let's take their word for it that talent absence is 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 really the the biggest reason why other metrics have declined, then you wouldn't have those problems as much
4: that said, they're drawing forty three hundred people a show, which is a, a a large number compared to nobody else can do that. other companies in the world today for sure but it's, so, these aren't even profitable They did not turn a profit on operating income for live events this quarter which is the second time that's happened in a year, which is a little surprising. We will see when we break into the um, adjusted Webda a little bit about what's driving that. Um, let's go to the next talking point here, which is what is number se- six on their list of like, where do we make money? And it's consumer product licensing royalties. Again, here's one that no one ever talks about, but you know what? They were flat, basically. They did $9.42 million in Q1, they did 9.27 in last year. So 1.7% up. I'll give it a yellow check mark. But again, it's a $10 million revenue line. And I, I'm, you know, $40 million a year at least. Uh, and people never, ever, you know, kind of bring that one up. Actually, how much is it a year? Uh, if I look it up quickly, it is worth last year. Uh, what was this called? Consumer licensing. It was $46 million last year's 52 million the year before that, it actually dropped 12% last year. So that was a little alarming. So that's one that again, I would still, you know, I'd keep a lot of uh, eyeballs on that one because the profit margin on that can actually be a decent profit margin. Yeah. Um So that, that's an interesting one to me too, that I feel is underreported and you, there's more opportunity to kind of say, Hey, we, we hit the ratings thing line so much. We hit the attendance thing so much, but there's these other things like, advertising and sponsorships and consumer product licensing that you could be talking about. And people, people would say, Oh, those are real numbers. And those are tied to things that we could look at. Um, the next, and, and by the way, orders are down on, on W shop. Yep. Uh, And we'll get to that one because that one, that's, that's line number nine. Okay. So we're at, we're at number six. We did number seven. (laughs) Now we're going to do number eight, which is called direct to consumer products, a sale at our venue. Um, at our live events okay. is number m- number eight here. Venue merchandise was 4.75 or 4.76 compared to 5.85. So that's a 19% drop. They said that was driven by an average um, decrease in attendance along with a 9% decrease in ca- per capita spend. So they went from getting 1040 per head to 951 per head. So this was bad because people that were there's less people going to the shows and the people that went to the show spent less. And we
3: almost so, thought we were—we had just uncovered what the uh, what we we had just uncovered comps for attendance because of the numbers here, but but it turned out that this number is called venue merchandise domestic per capita. So I thought that um, I I thought that I could have taken venue merch revenue, which is a number that's given, and divided it by per capita, but in fact that is a worldwide revenue number. So so Russell matricians had to had to uh, go back to the drawing board, unfortunately.
4: And it would probably include NXT revenue as well, so that that muddies, muddies the pot a little bit. Well, it's all NXT, it,
3: right? Like, venue merch revenue includes main roster and NXT. This Yeah, number, yeah. This yeah. Number Just, of-
4: I, I'm saying versus 90 events, but it's really more than that because it's the NXT events too
3: okay. Well, we could add that attendance in. There. I don't know. Anyway, it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> it
4: doesn't work out. No. Uh, and then the very last, and so this one gets a red line because you drop by 19% year over year on that quarter. Mm-hmm. And even if you adjust for a uh, number of events, you're still dropping by a lot. Um That said, you know, that that's another $5 million a quarter that you're getting from running these house shows. And if you didn't run as many house shows, you would get a lot less venue sales. So that's something to always add into your calculations too. Uh, direct-to-consumer sales of our merchandise through our e-commerce platform. The average revenue was slightly up. It was forty six fifty 50 versus 45 So I don't know about you, but the average person going to WW shop is spending about $46. The number of e-commerce orders, though, that's where it got really bad. It was a 23% drop. Uh, year over year for the first quarter is 141,000 orders versus 183,000 orders. And perhaps this is another area where they think talent absences hurt sales, where they could maybe argue that, you know, stars sell shirts. And when you don't have those stars on television, people don't buy those shirts. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big drop there in um, revenue. You know, uh, revenue was down 6.6 million in Q1 compared to 8.5 million a year ago. That's a 22% drop. So the number of orders was down and the number of, and accordingly revenue was down. And if you think about it, they had to be tied to each other because I said the average value per order was about the same. So that's a red check mark. So I ended up regrouping all of these things. And I basically said, I've got the good, the, the, um, the okay. And the bad, the good, the bad, and the The ugly. No, I don't think anything's ugly. I don't think a lot of things are ugly, but for Q1, they did 184,000. I'm sorry, $184,448,000. That's down 2.8% from last year where they did $187,221,000. Now, what was good? Well, about $70.6 came from core content, reality TV and film, travel packages in the secondary ticketing market, which is where they get some commissions from some secondary ticket sales. That's about a 6% increase year over year. The okay section is a $56.4 million bucket, which again, I think each of these buckets is a pretty considerable bucket. Um, everyone wants to talk core content rights, like that's the only thing going on here. But you'll see the okay and the bad buckets are actually bigger than the good bucket, which includes core content rights. So the okay bucket was $56.4 million, and that's compared to $56.0 million. And what was okay? WWE Network plus pay-per-view and consumer product licensing. So those two were basically middling. And then the bad was $46.3 million. Uh, compared to 56.3 million, and that's North American ticket sales, advertising and sponsorships, especially on the media section, e-commerce, and venue merchandise. So most of media is okay or good. Most of live events is bad. Most of consumer products is bad or okay. Um, what was really surprising was when you looked at that adjusted to up because consumer products was down 12%, live events was down 78%, and media was down 35%. And I think that's a really, really big, takeaway that a lot of people missed which is the media oibda operating income before depreciation and amortization dropped a ton it dropped 15 million year over year despite the fact that they grew the revenue line of media so much why did it drop from 43.6 million last year to 28.5 million this year well 11 and a half million dollars the media drop came from 9.3 million dollars associated with business support functions 1.2 1.2 million for doing a pay-per-view at the Royal Rumble in a baseball stadium and 1.1 million for more WWE Network content. Could it be so, because they're paying wrestlers better? That's none of the things that they listed here. Oh, okay. <laughs> as far as I can tell, unless somehow wrestler pays a, a business support function, which I don't think that's analogous with that. Because but they're, I think they're that's providing health insurance, the fact they're trying to rebrand health insurance, their WWE pensions Network. and payroll liabilities. I I I can't Say that we get a lot of visibility in the WWE ne- the WWE financials about how they're paying talent. It's because they converted only numbers their contractors seen.
3: to employees.
4: The only thing we're seeing in their numbers is, you know, the occasional mention of how much do they pay wrestlers one way or the other way. And the, of course, I, I think if could... the John Oliver piece could have found numbers that they could have put on the screen, they would have put
3: those numbers yeah, on. The I, screen. I mean, Meltzer said my numbers were insanely high. So, if Amy, $15 million might be enough. That might, might be enough. Anyway, go on.
4: I just wanted to give the idea that I, I think we we often use this panacea that core content rights is okay. And that means WB business is okay. Mm-hmm. But you can see I broke it into three different groups here. And the okay and the bad group, which is growing at either 1% or negative 18%, is much bigger than the good group. Mm-hmm. And adjusted a on media, even though media revenue went way up the cost of doing media right now is skyrocketing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're planning a WWE network relaunch and they're taking it in house Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't say taking it in house. They're, they're working with a new vendor, right? They mentioned that at, at one part of the very beginning here, um, where they say, what is it that they, the words that they use, um, something about endeavor.
3: Yeah. Endeavor and, uh, Something else is the uh, the new companies that they've hired. Uh, yes,
4: the company's primary focus for WWE Network is the launch of its new platform in a partnership with Endeavor Streaming and Massive. This new platform will provide flexibility to bring new features and experiences to the company's fans and enable the delivery of content in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like some of that is what where the big you know WWE Network um, cost is coming from, mm-hmm. and in in extra uh, business support functions. So again. I feel like this is something where people really miss the ball about the fact that, you know, yes, media rights are going way up, but media profit is not going up. In fact, media profit dropped $15 million year over year. It dropped, it dropped 35% on profit percentage, because, even adjusted a weebda. Because they're is, investing
3: in the, the new tier. Yeah.
4: Well, it, in something they're investing, they have a lot more costs. And then it's things like running Royal rumble in a in a baseball stadium costs a lot more to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, the that was my big my biggest part here. Um, you know, to try to play the we're we're doing okay, everything looks good. Um, they did come up with this graph that you have, um, that we've put in this here, where compared to Ron Smackdown to NASCAR to NBA to UFC to
3: NHL. Yeah, so this was the second quarter in a row. We got some barrios anomics. Last uh, time it was about the, the attendance and explain why attendance was down. And then Barrios saying that, hey, look, no, t- TV attendance, media attendance, you know, stuff that's not house shows is just fine. And, uh, so this time we got an, an explanation about, uh, what, you know, the viewership. And he showed that viewership is, is actually compared to NBA and, and UFC live flights. Live flights. Have you ever watched a live flight on a uh, U- UFC? Must be some sort of aviation uh, organization. Uh, but,
4: I was a little astonished that that
3: typo made its way through. How, and how 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 uh, soon before the uh, the actual conference call do you think this slide was thrown together?
4: I, I mean, I think they they obviously prepare this stuff well in advance. Yes. Um, you know, they have several days to work on it, and it's it's clearly you know it didn't hit a. Spe- it's a real word, so it didn't hit the spell checker. Yeah, so it didn't get the um, jagged red underline. Yeah, I'm just looking quickly to see if it's still in the document here. I mean, it's it's a minor typo. It's yes. it's not a yes. a big deal, but it it was very funny to me because there was that element where you're always like, should I correct this so I don't so I don't have people trying to email me and try to tell me what a dumb dumb I am. Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, what, um, what do you think of this graph? It shows that Raw SmackDown is uh the highest. Per, per episode slash game it's it's higher rated than the nba regular season games it's higher rated than ufc fights it's higher rated than nhl regular season games of everybody except for okay look nascar does bigger viewership than us when you, well when you, when you include the daytona 500 the big the big show yeah so
4: there was a if you go to the actual website um presentation on the corporate thing there's a there's a table at the end where they explain where they came up with these numbers which I appreciate from the fact that they at least explained where they came up with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you can pull that
3: up. Yes, uh, if you go the to the source corporate site. Nielsen Media Research, you have it pasted down here, don't you? I'm just going to I do. At the that. very end. There we go.
4: Yeah. So they say Raw had 12 episodes, SmackDown had 13 episodes. That's 25 episodes and that gets to 2.445 million viewers. Now. If you go and do the math and you say, okay, what's the arithmetic mean of those two? You don't come up with that number. You have to include the number of hours being three hours for Raw and two hours for SmackDown. Um, which is what you'll see that math line right there that you're, you're kind of cutting off half of it there. But, uh, that, that's why I did the numbers this morning to kind of see if I could double check that the, these numbers were in fact um, made sense. Now, the NASCAR number, as they say here, includes Monster Energy Cup, Xfinity Cup, and Gander Outdoor Truck Series races. Mm. So you could argue, is NASCAR with truck races really part of the general NASCAR number people are thinking about? Um, probably not. Uh, same thing with NBA. When you look at the NBA number, you can see they're including NBA TV games, which only get about 269,000 viewers. So if you take that out, you'd be more closer to 1.7 million viewers instead of 1.27 million viewers. Um, UFC cable number here they have about 1.1 million viewers I went through um, at the very bottom of this document if you scroll down where I actually tried to find the numbers for what were the actual viewers for each of the different um, shows on ESPN and ESPN 2 and it's a hodgepodge you know you you'll have 828,000 viewers on ESPN but then maybe the prelims are 250,000 um, but what you really start to see is that the real number for UFC, if you're just looking at ESPN numbers is pretty high. Um, Not as high as Ron SmackDown, but much higher than what is, is being portrayed in this graph here. And if it's on ESPN two, it's not nearly as high. And then on top of that, you know, WWE makes their money um, through the TV rights. UFC is making their money through their super exclusive deals on, on their, you know, streaming platforms. So that's, it's viewership alone is not necessarily the best indicator of whether you're healthy on either side. But um it, it was just kind of interesting to try to go through the exercise of validating these numbers um, and, and seeing where they got to it and how they got to it. Um, but it's, it's very high and low and, and obviously, you know, it's a PR move. You, you're you trying to take as many things as you can and combine them to make it look good. And we saw WWE try this exact same tactic in 2013 and 2014 as they were going into the domestic rights renewal where they would say, you know, on a, on a per viewer basis, the amount of money that people spend on basketball and the amount of money people are spending on wrestling or NASCAR where, you know, one tenth of the value, therefore we can expect to get three X or four X and in the end you're worth what you're worth right you're worth what people pay you and um viewers viewership alone doesn't tell the whole story it's demographics and it's you know advertising um capabilities and it's the long-term nature of the deals and so many other things but WWE is certainly truthful in saying that raw smackdown will draw more eyeballs than most of these things will draw however that leaves out things like playoffs and, and it also includes a lot of things like very tertiary networks showing a show.
3: Yeah. Pe- people on Twitter did not like this, this graph. They thought it was misleading. It's a PR move. And that's all I can ever
4: say is that's, you know, it's, it's, it's wrestling, right? You got to be a carny. You do not um, have to be a carny in wrestling. Uh, NXT attendance was up. Uh, Slightly. Uh, Uh, I think you you have that graph somewhere here is up 710 per show compared to 669. People should always remember this number includes takeovers. So really what should be done is if you can back out takeovers from this, you'll see a very different version of an NXT graph. And really NXT almost has three levels, right? They have their takeover level where they're doing a lot of people. They have their nxt touring brand which is going you know all through the u.s and running bigger shows and closer to a thousand people yeah. and then they have their nxt florida loop which is really small shows yeah and so it's almost like if you were including all three brands in one number is what you're looking at with this one data point point. and so it's very hard in my opinion to draw very deep conclusions about the health and wealth of nxt when you're combining three such diametrically different um approaches to what a show means So that's, that's my assist with Brandon to break down WWE Q one, which is overall, you know, they have some green check marks in content rights and feature film distribution. They are, they've got some yellow check marks on the network and consumer product licensing, and they've got some red check marks on ticket sales, advertising and sponsorships, WWE shop, AKA commerce and venue merchandise. So if you think ratings and attendance are important, you're going to see a lot of red. If you think guaranteed revenue streams are really important, you're going to see a lot of green. And if you think it's a combination of all those things, I think at best you can say it's yellow right now.
3: Yeah. I I, I want to hit on this point that uh, Vince made in in response to uh, things being down where he says, we've hired new people on our writing team and they're really going to help us in help, help us out in terms of television, ratings, digital social, all that sort of stuff. We've got a new team in terms of live events that's just start started now. So we'll see live events continue to trend upward. Um, he thinks things are going to bounce back. He's kind of, kind of promising that here, right? So I guess they've put themselves in, in a, in a tough position here. If in Q2 when the Q2 report comes out, let's see, Q2 will be covering April 1st to June 30th. We'll probably get the report, uh, late July or maybe early August. So things are still down. Uh, what then? Cause he said that the, you know, the, the talent's back. You know, we have 15 talent out, but they're all back now and things are going to be better now. What if, uh, what if things aren't better now? What's the excuse then?
4: Uh, I think it, it's uh, so much of it is going to come down to did you deliver on your ability to hit your guidance for the full year? And why are you so confident you can do that? And. You know, for WWE, they can point to the TV deal and they can secretly point to the Saudi deal. It's very funny because they, it's very clear that they, they basically under a gag order to explain what money they get from the, the, the Saudi deal, but it's a big portion of their ability to execute their number for the year. Yes. You said X. So it will be very interesting. At the same time, WWE is investing. You know, we are seeing them get a new headquarters and they're going to try to consolidate some of their buildings so that they don't have people going to three different places. They're going to continue to invest in what the network has to become. They are continuing to staff up um, on the executive level. They're continuing to, you know, run brands like Tap Out. They're continuing to re- change the way that they do things like, you know, fighting with my family mm-hmm. is a big distribution plan for them. That's very different than what they've been doing with media for a while. So it's a sign that they're definitely interested. And this Fox deal, I think they just see infinite synergy opportunity. Um, whether or not it comes true, I don't know. But I think they see a huge opportunity there in terms of reaching a new audience. And to a degree, I think they do have a great opportunity to reach a new audience. I think anytime you're on broadcast television for the first time in years, um, you have a huge opportunity to reintroduce people to what professional wrestling is today and what these stars are capable of. And I think professional wrestling as a whole has continued to evolve into a more exciting and aerobatic and, you know, interesting style. And um, a new generation has entered the fold.
3: Yeah. And So I, they, they talk about how it, when they go to Fox and when they go to uh, Q4 with, with USA Network, it's going to be a whole new thing. They're going to have more promotional opportunities. I mean, to put that tangibly, I think they're going to be promoted on on NFL broadcasts, which is cool. Um, but I think do do fans have a lot of reason to trust that things will really be more exciting when they go over to Fox and when uh new, new TV deals kick in. I, I I doubt it. Uh, I think a lot well, of people Vince, have... Vince promised new writers, right? He's got Bruce Prichard and I think Jeff Jarrett's helping out too.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, he, but he, he specifically even said in his thing here that, you know, we've got this, we've, we've got, got this new writers and got this new stuff going on and it's promotional value. And, I don't think they're going to mess it up. And on the flip side, Fox is in their corner, right? Fox has every reason in the world. Like everyone's talking about it. Like Fox is looking for a reason to put them on F- FS1. It's the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Fox just spent a, a boatload of money as far as we can tell. Mm-hmm. And Fox has every intention of trying to make it as successful as possible. That's so something like a billion dollars, the average annual value, 200 million. Yeah. So it, it's, it's going to elevate that. And, um, it's really going to be a question of what can they do to make that more exciting, and we're already hearing things like the studio show that they're going to do on FS1.
3: Yeah. That's
4: an interesting thing for them to do, something that we haven't necessarily seen yeah. before. So I, I
3: would say a lot of exciting things that are still to come for WWE financially. The company is very secure. TV rights fees are guaranteed and escalating. That's going to guarantee this company is going to make more revenue and probably more profit each year for at least the next five years. But I think, like I think, with some investors and um, some analysts aren't, aren't aware of because they're probably not following the product very closely is that I think the declines that you're seeing in some other metrics that actually reflect popularity and not just finances, uh, they, they reflect just the, the, uh, the, the trust and the lack of goodwill that I think the main roster programming has. And I think if you take a look at NXT while it has lower reach platforms and lower attendance, because it's on it's just on the network and on social media and it's not, uh, it's not on these big broadcast platforms. And I'd argue that this developmental brand where creative is led by Paul Levesque and not Vince McMahon, and it's that it's been more successful in creating energy around stars and nurturing fan goodwill, and that discrepancy is a small-scale example of what's possible when Vince doesn't control the creative. So.
4: You've been listening to WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, Brandon Howard Thurston, the grappler himself, is your host. Brandon, if people want to watch your match, uh, do they have to subscribe to IWTV right now?
3: It looks like Beyond Wrestling is going to put the match between J. Freddy and I on their YouTube channel for free tonight. So, look, Oh, my
4: goodness. Look so for that. so look for that. if by the time you're listening to this on your podcast, all you'll have to do is go to YouTube, type in Brandon Howard Thurston, J. Freddie. You don't, and, you don't uh, even have to include Howard in that search string, in fact. Oh, really? Probably not probably not yeah. uh and and you'll be able to watch this 18 and a half minute match uh a battle between these these behemoths and um how'd you know that was the length were you, were you using your stopwatch i i looked it up the next day to oh. see i thought it was a long match and i thought this is one of the longer matches i've ever heard brandon being in that was uh I filmed in in a way that i could see it yeah. so yeah, it, it was uh intriguing yes I,
3: my, my cardio was good though i could have
4: gone even longer Oh my I'm ready Oh my It sounds like Sounds like he's not done Folks it Sounds like he's ready To take on your Local challenger
3: That's right He's, oh, uh, yeah. he's
4: ready to come To your town
3: I'll be wrestling uh, On May 4th In Albion, New York Wrestling Sean Carr I'll be wrestling On May 18th I'm, Actually I'm wrestling Like like five Saturdays In a row here uh, What is my schedule As like I pull up the calendar uh, May 4th In Albion, New York For Empire State Wrestling Uh May 11th for Southern Tier Wrestling in I think this this is in Jamestown. I don't know who I'm wrestling there. May 18th for Empire State Wrestling. Uh, I don't the who I'm wrestling is not announced, not official. But there's uh, a lot of indie names on there: MJF, Josh Briggs, Fred Yehai, uh, Ultimo Dragon, uh, and others. Uh, Tyler Bateman too. Uh, on May see, yeah May 25th in Erie, Pennsylvania, I'll be wrestling for Pro Wrestling Rampage. And on June 1st in Rochester, New York, your hometown move. I'll be wrestling for emperor State Wrestling. Wow, that, that's enough. Now. You're
4: a busy man. Well, I, like I said, I'm going to China this week. I'll be back, and I'll be doing other fun wrestling things. Of course, Double or Nothing is being held at the MGM Grand Garden Arena on May 25th in from Las Vegas, and I will be there that whole weekend. I'm bringing my parents to their very first professional wrestling show in their life. Oh, really? I've never seen a professional wrestling show live before, and they're coming out to Vegas. To enjoy it so i'm very much looking forward to uh introducing them to uh aew and uh having them you know have a good time in vegas all weekend so that'll be very fun cool take it easy everyone talk to you later